Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. It's Thursday, January 21st, 2021, in a locked-down Toronto, Canada, Earth. I am joined on Zoom, as always, by the general manager of the Canadian Elite Basketball League's Ottawa Blackjacks, Javon Shepard, and the assistant GM of the same team, Andy Routens. We are thrilled to welcome to our show a Canadian who's making it in pro basketball in the United States, Megan McPeak is the play-by-play voice of the G League's Capital City Go-Go and the WNBA's Washington Mystics. She's a TV host for Monumental Sports Network in D.C. And closer to home, she's a contributor for CBC Sports. She's the former play-by-play for Raptors 905 in Mississauga. And she's an old friend of mine from The Hangout on NBA TV Canada. Meg, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks, Dan, for having me, Shep and Andy. Uh, and correction, it's actually the WNBA champion, Washington Mystics. Is that not what I said? No. Nope. Let them know, Megan. Let them know. Unacceptable, DJ. I left out the championship part. And former championship G League 905. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you, have this, you have this thing about calling play-by-play for championship teams, so I know that's going to continue. Let, let's, let's talk about your life, Meg, in Washington, D.C., um, I think just in light of all the events that have been happening, um, you know, the past four years, they've been crazy in the country, but particularly the last the last uh, two weeks. You know, what, what what was what was it like being there during the inauguration? What's it been like living there during the insurrection on the Capitol and the days after? Yeah, so um, in D.C., to be clear, I wasn't actually, just in case, you know, there's people listening, they're like, why were you not following protocol? You're not supposed to be at the inauguration. I was not physically there. I watched with the rest of the world uh, on television. But um, it was, I mean, for both instances, it was somewhat surreal um, with regards to the insurrection um, on the Capitol earlier this month on the 6th of January, which... Uh, I think like 9-11 is a date that will, you know, be ingrained in everybody's minds now um, for the rest of our lives. That was a surreal moment. But as many uh, black people uh, and people of color in at least the U.S. and and probably around the world, it wasn't surprising given what the past four and a half years of the former administration had been like and the lead up to them taking office and then with regards to you know the past two months since the 2020 election was finalized, um, and and now President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were um, officially given the electoral college vote, and it was you know essentially ended and and given to them. Um, we never got the concession, which isn't surprising, but um, it was volatile. It was complete turmoil in in the country. Uh, we know what happened on January 6th. Everybody witnessed it. Um, on their television sets. Um, luckily enough, I, I was able to get inside before uh, anything happened. I was actually heading to the store um, to just grab some chocolate, of all things, um, and uh, a string of about like 25 to 30 uh, MPD cars flying by. Like not just, it, it felt different. They were moving at a different pace than what I've seen um, with lights and sirens going. 
And something within me was like, you need to turn around and go back, um, which I did. <laughs> and as soon as I got inside, I flipped on uh, my television and sure enough, um, witnessing what the rest of the world saw. And then um, fast forward literally two weeks to the day and nearly to the hour of the insurrection on the Capitol, uh, we, we saw history with the 46th president being sworn in. Um, and at 11.42 a.m. Eastern time, uh, history in the first female vice president of the United States and the first female to hold uh, a national ranking in, in politics, a woman of color, a woman of South Asian, Asian descent, and a, a Jamaican woman um, born to two parents who was raised as a single mother. So it was historic. Um, and watching that, seeing, you know, former, former President Obama, uh, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, uh, Mrs. Bush, and and of course, my forever first lady, even though I am Canadian, as you pointed out, um, Michelle Obama, uh, and, and like, and Dr. Jill Biden, they all, they all slayed in those outfits. Like, let's be, like, that was a fashion show that we witnessed yesterday. But um, it's been a surreal uh, couple of weeks and, and two and a half months since the election uh, has been finalized. Megan, homies. What's it been like? I, I know we had a conversation uh, last week and you mentioned despite all, you know, the mess that's transpired in America, um, you know, a lot of great opportunities have come of it uh, since then for you personally and that you still wouldn't have traded that that move that you made from from I was going to say Toronto, but Hamilton, I believe it is. Was it Hamilton? Way out there, way out that way. The hammer. Um, to, right. The hammer. To, to Washington or just America on a whole? What's that whole process been like and, and how have you, how have you, how's it been for you? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been really good. And even though I'm living in, you know, a lockdown city right now, essentially um, what's been the equivalent of, of a war zone as they call it a green zone with all of the military presence, the National Guard being here, um, the continuous military checkpoints um, a couple blocks from literally my building um, and then everything that's happened in the past four and a half years with the administration in this country, and especially the past two months, you know, like you said, like I told you, it was like, I want to say it was last week. I, I still would not trade it in. I would not change the decision I made to move here. I would not look back. I do not regret it one bit. Um, I made a decision that was best for my career. I needed to build my career and continue to build uh, my brand as who I am and, and continue to grow as a broadcaster. And this was an opportunity that was given to me and presented to me that I would have been silly to turn it down. Um, as much as I, I loved my time with the 905 and I'm forever thankful for that opportunity, uh, that was an opportunity that allowed me to, to be here because without that, I wouldn't have been able to do TSN radio, doing pre and post game for the Toronto Raptors for the 2016-17 um, season and into the 2017-18 season, uh, which would not have led me to meeting um, former general manager of the Capital City Go-Go now, uh, within the Knicks organization, um, Pops Mensabonsu, who I know you're familiar with, Shep, and, and Andy, I know you're familiar with him as well, too, just with playing overseas. Um, and then Dan with, obviously, with the with the Raptors. He's, he's kind of got his hands in ways of relationships with all four of us um, with everything that he's done in his career. So had I not, you know, had the opportunity with the 905 and TSN Radio, I would never have met him and potentially never be in D.C., um, because he was the GM at the time when I ran into him at Summer League. And, uh, you know, a conversation led to me sending him my stuff. Um, and then it led to me having interviews and uh, subsequently, you know, getting the job. And part of that, which was one of the longest and hardest secrets I had to keep to keep to myself was the fact that I would then be uh, turned into the voice of the, the Washington Mystics for one of the most historic seasons in WNBA history. Um, and one of the most, you know, individual historic seasons for Elena Deladon. So, I, I look at what I've gone through uh, in the past two and a half years. This is now my third year in DC with um, the way that this country has been. And like I said, I do not look back. I will never regret it because it has made me grow not only as a broadcaster, but more importantly, as a person, because I have found, um, I have found a voice that I don't know if I would have had it being back home. Um, I don't know if I would have found it and been confident enough to use it the way that I have and the way that I've used my platform in the past two years, especially with the consistent police brutality and injustices against black people, people of color, um, brown people and Latino people in this country and, and truthfully really around the world because it happens in Canada as well too. 
Um, so yeah, this is a decision that I'm forever, I'm forever thankful that I, I took the, took the jump and took the leap and I will never look back or regret it. Uh, yeah, Megan, keeping it local to DC, obviously you made the decision to go there. You're there now. And, and, and what an experience that is for you to be there, you know, in such a volatile, intriguing time, uh, in America, um, you know, how safe do you feel on a personal level? And, you know, is, was this riot? Obviously, we know how, you know, these Trump supporters can be. They, you know, just can't seem to let this go. Was this riot a one-off or does, you know, is, it, is there a word on the street that this thing may happen again? And, and what's the underlying feeling in D.C. right now about where things are headed? Well, Andy, with, with regards to, you know, my safety, um, it, I, I, I go in and, in and out and up and down with how I feel about it. Um, there's always concern. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I have, um, as everyone has, you know, we create ways to work out at home now, given that everybody's kind of in the work from home situation. So sure. I got a, I got a weight set and it came with, um, a bar that can attach and turn into dumbbells, but that's, you know, neither here nor there, but okay. I leave it, I leave it apart because the middle piece, um, is actually the hardest and the heaviest and okay. I have it actually under my bed. So you so keep the keep it as a weapon, yeah. <laughs> just, wow. Just in the off chance, because you never know. Um, you know, my there. I'm here with my roommate, so luckily there's another human being. But we're both mm. we're both women, so there's always that concern. And we sure. have a balcony. We're not on the ground floor, but we're only a couple floors up. So there's always mm. that concern of of you know our safety. Um, with regards to the entire city, um, there's again up and down days where you know I'm walking down the street, always looking over my shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. with everything that's happened with police brutality, I double take whenever I see a cop car come near me, sure. um, a police officer that is walking by me or looking at me, especially when there is more than two of them together. Um, there's always that level where the hairs on the back of my neck will stand up and I'm hyper vigilant and, and hypersensitive mm -hmm. to my surroundings. And that's something that my parents, my brother, um, and my entire family has always taught me. Um, I have a cousin who's, who's a retired police officer. Um, and, and another cousin whose husband is a current police officer. So, uh, you know, they have always taught us to be hypervigilant and, and how to act. And, you know, the talk that, you know, sadly, Chef will eventually have to give to his son one day, um, right. being a, a, a black man in, in, in the world. Um, but I think with, you know, with regards to what we witnessed on in January 6th, um, there was the concern following that because, you know, the the supporters made sure that they let people know that they would continue to do this. Um, and that was something that DC mayor and, you know, not a lot of people realize DC is actually not a state. Uh, they're still fighting right. for statehood. So our, our, our district is, is run by the mayor, Mayor Muriel Bowser. Um, and she's been doing a really good job during the pandemic and, and during the, the consistent um, protests uh, in the city. And she, you know, she, she did what she had to do. She put her big girl pants on and she said, not in my, not on my watch, not in my city. Yes. And she locked it down. She got as much help as possible from the National Guard, um, got, you know, nearly 25,000 for the uh, in, inauguration um, to make sure that her city on her watch, nothing would happen. And all the concerns and all the threats that were made that, you know, more things would happen following the, the, the insurrection on the Capitol. Um, not too many things happened, uh, at least in D.C. That, that we know of. We know, obviously, we saw the reports of the man who was arrested, who uh, drove with uh, weapons in his car and, and more ammo than one person needs and had a uh, fake inauguration credential. So oh, they wow. took care of him. Mm. Um, and, and he was dealt, he was, you know, dealt with, uh, through the, the justice system. And then, you know, they had concerns that maybe something would happen from the inside out. Um, and right. ahead of the inauguration, they, they dealt with, um, letting go of a few national guards, people who they had concerns over security issues. So they made sure that the city was the safest, not just for the inauguration, but going forward. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it will remain somewhat in a, in a lockdown situation um, with the presence of some National Guards until the end of the month. Um, obviously, that could change given whatever happens um, in the near future. But it's it's always up and down with regards to safety um, in this country. And it's been mm -hmm. that way since I moved here. Yeah, speaking of safety, I know, you know, we had chatted a bit before the show started uh, and you mentioned that somebody had basically printed themselves a 3D clip, you know, for for a magazine for a gun. And and is is that just how concerning is that, you know, that somebody can just 
literally build something and, and create mass havoc on the public, the general public. Um, you know, if you can extrapolate on that and, and, you know, what kind of concern that does bring to it, a volatile area like DC. I think for anybody, I don't, I don't know if it's just specific to, to the US or the DC. I think that should be a concern across the world, really. The fact that sure, there's yeah. now a machine, like a 3D printer that you can buy, I can buy, and we can build stuff, which is great from a, you know, technology standpoint or an IT standpoint or, you know, AI or medical field that could literally change the game for saving lives. But it now also changes the game for taking lives. And the fact that one of the insurrectionists actually printed out pieces to attach to the gun that they already had to make it more lethal to do more damage and take more bodies and have a higher body count is completely concerning because like I said, like literally you and I could just make that if we just go buy a 3D printer. And then as well, right. too, the fact like you think the Internet, you can literally Google how to make a homemade bomb and homemade Molotov cocktails, which there was an insurrectionist whose truck they found had a few <laughs> Molotov cocktails. And then they had sent they had set a couple up to be detonated at the RNC um, building and the DNC building, which is the Democrat and the Republican National Convention building. Luckily, um, you know, authorities got to them before they were detonated and they were able to do a controlled detonation of them. But okay. still, the fact that you can find this information on the Internet readily available and it's been there for years. Um, you know, I remember post 9-11, there had been conversations of this on the Internet as well, too, that it's it's readily available. So it's nothing new recently, but it's still concerning that things can be that easily available to any human being. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jim Rats and Joints, the podcast, Shep, Andy, and myself, we are joined by Megan McPeak, the play-by-play voice of the Washington Mystics and the capital city, Go-Go. Let, let's talk some basketball now. And, you know, Megan, 2019 was really a magical year in basketball. And we saw several teams win their first championship. Um, here in Toronto, the Raptors won the NBA. Um, in the NCAA, my University of Virginia Cavaliers won their first championship, nice and close to D.C. That had to reverberate. Big yawn. Big yawn. There. Uh, same number of championships as a Turkey. <laughs> and also in 2019, the, the Washington Mystics, as you correctly pointed out um, earlier when I was introducing you, they won their first WNBA championship. So really – um, an incredible year for basketball fans and, and to, to experience the newness of teams winning championships um, for their, their cities and their communities and, you know, in their countries for, for the first time. But Meg, uh, the, the last season, the, the bubble season, the pandemic season for the Mystics wasn't as successful. Um, I, I guess I have two parts to this question. Where do you see the Mystics going in their future? And also, where where is the WNBA going? Also, not just in terms of the the product on the court, which I think is fabulous, but also in terms of its popularity. You know, we've seen a lot of the athletes in the W step aside from basketball to fight um, for political activism and, and human rights. What is the future of the Mystics and the league at this point? Well, I think um, you know. Coach, I think Coach Mike Tebow, who's also the GM for, for the Mystics, in a way may disagree that the bubble season was not successful for the Mystics. Um, if you look at specifically just their records, obviously um, not the season that you want to have. Um, but, you know, they, they, they snuck into the playoffs with um, what was probably one of the craziest finishes to a, a WNBA season that I can remember. Um, when you have a three-team, you know, situation that are fighting for one spot and it came down to literally 
the final game. Um, and it was it was one of those situations that no coach wants to be in, no no team wants to really be in. But the fact that the Mystics were in it and they had all of the control to decide what was going to happen, um, it was the best situation in that situation. You know, you think of the scenarios that it could have been. That was probably scenario A um, of B and C, and they got the scenario they wanted. You know, they needed to win the game in order to get into the playoffs. They controlled their own destiny, essentially. Um, and the reason I think he would disagree in the sense it wasn't, quote-unquote, successful, if you put aside their their record and, and the way that they finished the season, he was able to take a situation that was unconventional, unprecedented. We saw it with the WNBA, the NBA return to play in the bubble, um, MLB trying to you know make a season out of their situation as well, too. Um, and he was able to scout talent for this coming season because he didn't have a Tina Charles because she was – um, she was exempt for medical reasons. Elena Deladon did not play because um, her her medical reasons make her susceptible, uh, unfortunately, to the virus, but as well, too, she had to rehab her back, so she was not with the team. And then Natasha Cloud decided to opt out for um, the reasons to focus on social injustice. And then you also add in the fact that they lost Christy Tolliver in free agency. So when you take those three players and you... And, and you can even throw in the fourth with Christy Tolliver, even though she opted out of the season. You remove those three players who are all all-stars. You have two MVPs. You have a finals MVP in, in Deladon. You remove those three, and it completely opens up the ability to scout talent with nothing distracting you. Um, we saw what I have seen in my two years now being here. I saw it in practice. I've seen it in, in you know, bursts of games that she's been able to get in but she put now the entire league and the basketball world on notice that like I can hoop and 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 you got to pay attention to me and that's Myesha Hines Allen in their opener she had a career high um in that game and then continued to impress throughout the entire season she put the team on her shoulders and and pushed them into situations that you know we didn't know that they would be in uh, a player like Emma Miesemann who was the focal point with the absence of Deladon and Charles. And she just wasn't able to get herself going the way that we had seen her before, um, which is very interesting because she plays that focal point role with the Belgian national team. But when she does it with the Mystics, it may be the way that the game is different. I'm not really sure what it was, but she just couldn't get, couldn't get herself going. But it now puts Coach Thibault in a very tough predicament when it comes to this season, whatever it may be, and, you know, whatever it may look like, if you get a Deladon, a Charles, and a Cloud back, it automatically puts them into the conversation of championship uh, contender with the, you know, Las Vegas Aces, with the Seattle Storm, with the Los Angeles Sparks. It puts them back into that conversation because you get three All-Stars back and two MVPs. Um, you get a scoring punch back. And now all of the experience that your um, bubble starters, if you will, and your bubble bench got in the bubble season, they now are coming off the bench potentially. So you have all of this experience that had you had that same roster in the bubble, you may not have gotten. And it allows Coach Tebow to scout differently and figure out how he's going to put this roster together because he has one of the toughest jobs. And I do not envy the fact that he has to make these decisions. But to your question on um, the state of the WNBA, you know, the WNBA is still young. This is, if I'm not mistaken, their 25th season. Um, so they're only a quarter century old, which is is insane to think about because, um, you know, you we've seen so much surrounding them as of late that it, you'd think that they were, you know, 30, 40 years old, but they're not. Um, and I think with Commissioner Kathy Engelbert at the helm, she comes from the business standpoint. She did play back in her day as well, too. So she does have the understanding of basketball. But being uh, a woman in a prominent position at Deloitte, one of the power five, you know, businesses in the world, she has had experiences on building brands and building businesses. So I think that they have someone running the, the league that can figure things out, figure out how to market it, figure out other ways that they can bring in new fans, how they can keep current fans, how they can, um, you know, be more open to other things rather than just the game of basketball to promote it. And I think we saw that in the last couple of years since she's been at the helm. So I think the W is in a great place. Um, and, you know, the more and more young boys and girls see 
how phenomenal these these athletes are, the more and more people are going to pay attention. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, Asia Wilson of the um, Las Vegas Aces just had her uh, statue revealed on the campus of South, the University of South Carolina. And she uh, went to the unveiling. They unveiled it and then she had her, her ceremony. And the emotion of her talking about the fact that not long ago, her grandmother could not walk on the campus of South Carolina, could not physically step foot on it. She had to walk around. And now her granddaughter, uh, unfortunately, her, her grandmother is no longer with us, but her granddaughter has a statue on that campus. Like that is a full circle moment. And to think that it's like not even two generations removed, her grandmother has a statue. That is insane to think that not long ago, her grandmother could not step on, step foot on that. So um, that just shows you the growth of not just the W, but the women's game period um, within this country, within the world as well, too. Because I mean, um, right now, you know, we would be coming off an Olympics if if they ha if we had them and most likely the US would probably could be continuing their dominance um so it'll be interesting to see what happens um in the 2020 21 summer olympics um should they still happen in tokyo what you know what the competition looks like in the women's basketball division you you touched on women in prominent positions and in, in sport um and you yourself being a woman in sport woman of color in sport uh I want to ask about Amber Nichols. You know, she was just announced as general manager for Capital City, and you know, you know, what did that? How did that resonate with you? What did that feel like? And, and you can touch on that a bit because I think I believe she's the second uh, female to be named general manager in within a G League organization, and I'm, I'm sure that's bittersweet for you as well because Pops Mensabonso, like you mentioned, was your former GM or you know somebody that gave you an opportunity, but now you're seeing, you know, opportunity progression in terms of, you know, women in power, women in sports. And obviously there's been a movement, there's an emphasis on increasing that engagement. And, and now it is, here it is again, and you're actually a part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really familiar with Amber. She's been here since I've been here. Um, she was the director of basketball operations um, under, uh, Pops when he was GM here, and then um, also was you know elevated to assistant general manager um, last season. So I'm, it doesn't shock me that she stepped into the role um, following him uh, stepping down from the position. And I, I think it's fantastic. And as you mentioned, you know she becomes the second in the G League history, um, and it's it's fantastic in the sense that the two women who have made history as the two first female GMs in G League history are both black women. Um, Tori, Tori Miller, excuse me, who's with the College Park Skyhawks, which is the affiliate to the Atlanta Hawks, um, was named earlier this year. And then uh, Amber, who was just named recently. So the fact that you have double, you know, double history, if you will, as women and women of color holding the first two spots as, as female GMs is fantastic. And I think this is going to be it's going to be really, really fun for her. It's going to be something that she's stepping into that she's wanted to do. And I think it's going to be great for her progression and her growth. She wants to be a GM of an NBA team one day. And this is how you get your experience. This is how you get hands-on experience. Um, I don't know if she expected her, her first season and her first hands-on experience as a GM to be uh, in a pandemic globally, as well as to heading to uh, the G League bubble down in Orlando on the ESPN campus. Um, for the season. So she's actually down there now uh, helping the guys uh, get prepared. Unfortunately, the Gogo aren't sending an entire team. Uh, the Wizards made that decision, but they are they are utilizing the Erie Bayhawks, which is uh, currently the affiliate to the New Orleans Pelicans. So they're sharing a roster. So any um, what they're calling flex assignments um, that the Wizards want to send down and then the two-way players that they have in Cassius Winston and Garrison Matthews, they'll be playing uh, alongside with the Erie Bayhawks in the Bayhawks uniform. But she'll be down there physically with them along with um, assistant coach Mike Williams to focus on development because that's something the Wizards are really focusing on um, the last couple of years. And since they've gotten their G League franchises, they want to develop guys. And we've seen guys, you know, not necessarily stick with the, the Wizards, but then, you know, go to other teams. Chris Chiosa stands out as he's been with the Houston Rockets and now with the Brooklyn Nets. But part of this is, is Amber's job now. And, and part of it is figuring out, okay, she, she has a chance now to 
take this bubble experience and use it as a scouting experience because she only has to worry about, you know, four to five guys at a time. Um, maybe even three, depending on what the Wizards need with with bodies um, and, and injuries and, you know, COVID. Obviously, we know um, they've unfortunately had to forfeit or excuse me, not forfeit, postpone their past six games, um, including what would have been tomorrow's game against the Bucks um, Friday night because of health and safety protocols and, and not being able to field um, the recommended or required eight players healthy players in order to fill the roster. Um, so that will play a part and possibly could play a part down the road uh, for the G League bubble of having, you know, assignment guys down there. But if you're a GM and you don't have to focus on an entire team uh, under your, you know, under your tutelage at one time in this bubble, she has now, you know, a hundred, a <laughs> hundred plus guys that she can scout and just sit in the gym and scout them all, not just for this season, but for next season and the seasons above, because she's not just scouting for the go-go, she's scouting for the Wizards as well, too. So she still reports to Wizards GM Tommy uh, Shepard and will relay anything she sees um, with players there. So it's an unprecedented situation for her to be in, but um, she's got she's got the mindset and the determination to, to prove that she deserves this promotion and she deserves this appointment. And I have no doubt in my mind that she's gonna she's gonna take the reins and she's gonna run with it. Uh, Megan, before we get back into hoop, uh, I want to talk about Megan McPeak a little bit. Um, super well versed, the woman of many hats. So it's not surprising that you also dabbled in some producing as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to produce the miniseries Inside the Lines, uh, as well as No Mercy: The Postman's Abanso Journey, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I love the way it was produced, the cuts, the music, uh, you know, and how emotionally invested I got into it, you know, because I think Shep and I kind of shared that similar journey. And now as we're transitioning from players into a managerial position. So it was really great to see. And, and uh, you're super talented at it, by the way. And um, do you see yourself continuing to produce and broadcast simultaneously in the future? Ooh, wow. Uh, thank you for <laughs> For those words um, and the compliments, and I'm definitely gonna let Pops know um, that you you enjoyed it, um, yeah, and that you honest. you were emotionally invested in it because that was um, that was the the big thing I wanted to do with that. And I'll get to that in a second. I'll go to the mini series because that's mm-hmm. um, that was like my first chance. I've um, as Dan knows, I've never produced before. I've never had the mm-hmm. chance to to produce anything before. So I took this idea. Um, to my manager and was just like, hey, like, what do you think of this? It also stemmed from the fact that, um, as you guys know, obviously every you know sports team has corporate partnerships and sponsorship responsibilities. So it stemmed from that. We needed um, something to do for one of our sponsors and we're trying to figure out ideas that would work while incorporating the players, getting to know them, um, mm-hmm. but still relate back to basketball. And this was my chance to not be in front of the camera um, and be behind it. And then I wanted to also, you know, elevate my broadcast partner, Tony Massenberg, um, who's my analyst for the go-go. So that's where I came into the concept of using him as the on-air talent. Um, because also too, he had a very, you know, journeyman like career as well too. He, um, if I'm not mistaken, he, I think holds the record for the most teams played with on the, in the NBA. And I want to say it's at 13, um, which is kind of crazy, but full circle moment for him was he was drafted by the Spurs. And then at the end of his career, he rejoined them in the year that they were actually winning one of their championships. So full circle wow. moment for him. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted a chance to elevate the G League guys because the G League, the one thing about the G League, and it's similar to the WNBA, that I think is you have such unprecedented access to the players, not just in my position or in your guys' position, now on you know sort of the media side and talking about the game but even the fans do like fans can literally like i could do a post-game presser in the broadcast booth and there's fans like not even 10 feet behind us that could literally grab the player and be like hey can i get a picture can i get an autograph so there's it's Mm -hmm. unprecedented access it's unlike the nba um in that sense which i think for fans is fantastic because it gets you invested in these teams Mm -hmm. and these players um but I wanted a chance to then take these players and get to know them. Like you see what they do on the court. That's great. It's fantastic. But what else do they do? Um, Mm -hmm. What do they do off the court? So inside the lines was that chance to, you know, do some research about the players and then fire just like really quick questions that would be really quick answers 
to try and get it in within three minutes. That was my goal was each video had to be under three minutes because everyone knows, you know, attention spans when it comes to watching videos. It's usually if it's under three minutes, you're going to keep them. If it's under five, they may they may go in and out. And then the longer it goes, the harder it is to necessarily keep sure. them. So I was like 2.30 to three minutes and I'm good. Um, but I also wanted it to be fun and engaging and not boring for the players. Um, so I really wanted to find out information about them that was interesting. So, for example, one of them is a painter. Um, sure. He loves painting. So asking him about that. But then also, too, he really likes hanging out with kids um, and, and, you know, inspiring kids and mentoring kids from the reading standpoint. So I Im incorporated it that way. Um, mm -hmm. Another player has uh, a family uh, comes from like a military family. So I wanted to incorporate that too, but he is also a geek about military style movies. So um, he's a huge Mark Wahlberg fan. So I wanted to incorporate it that way. Um, so that was my thought process with that, which gave me, you know, got my feet wet with that. And then for some reason I thought, well, like I did that. I can just jump right into doing a documentary. Why not? Right. I was going to say that seems a little <laughs> bit, you know, m more big project with the pop situation. Right. Um, and you know, I, at the beginning, probably bit off more than I could chew, but I, and I was nervous and um, I was like sitting there one day and I was just thinking like, should I be doing this? Like, can I do this? Am I the one to do this? And I texted Pops um, and he was like, call, like, call me, I'm driving. So good for him, you know, hands, hands free. Um, and I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I'm really nervous about it. I don't know if it's going to be good. I know you like you have high standards. I don't know if I'm going to live up to it. He was like, oh, are we sorry? Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Let it fly. <laughs> let, it, let it fly. <laughs> he was like, shut the fuck up. You can do this. So I was like, oh, OK, cool. Yeah. Um, Major confidence okay. booster. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, cool. Thanks. Um, And like you guys know, Pop doesn't really he's got like that deep, like very, very white voice. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne voice. So it's just like. When, oh, you when he talks, it, he commands I was like, attention. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, so Mufasa is speaking to me right now. Um, <laughs> cool. Thanks. I feel like I just got in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but then I just, I sat there and I just thought about it. I was like, you know what? Like, like flip it. Put on your, like, go back to playing days. Put on your athlete mentality and bang through this. Like, you got this. And from that conversation, like, obviously it was ups and downs. There was arguments. <laughs> there was, there was, you know, shouting matches there was frustrations um and it finally came together and I purposely asked him at what point when we're editing this like what what when do you want me to get you to show you the the cuts like when do you because I wanted him to be part of the editing process because this is this at the end of the day yes this was my project but this is his story and I wanted to make sure it was being told the way he would approve of it and he would be comfortable with it because he's now putting his his life into, you know, motion picture on the internet that never, it, I mean, we could delete it, but it's still going to be out there. And I think more producers need to have that mentality <laughs> because I think a lot of people try to get their own agenda out through other people. So that's, that's right. really, that's really uh, something of you. Right. And I, I wanted it to be a collaborative effort as well too. So he was like, whenever you want me to be, whenever you want to bring me in, bring me in. So I was like, okay, cool. So I, I, purposely waited when it came to actually what they call a string out which is it all put together with you know notes still edited in there runtime on it all this other jazz I waited for two of those I wanted to edit them down first before he gave it to it because I didn't want it I didn't want to send it to him and it has like a um a slate that says stock image because he's gonna be like what the hell does that mean so I wanted to make sure everything was set up so that it, he could run through it and understand the, the, the way I was trying to tell it. So I think when I finally brought him in, it was the third cut. And him and I are going back and forth about it. And when he would send me notes, I wouldn't, I would, I, I would maybe be like, I would explain like something to, you know, try to let him know why we went this route instead of that route. Um, but I would always take all of his notes back to the editor because at the end of the day, again, this is his story. I may see it one way, but if he wants it this way, I'm going to go with my client. So I, I went with it. And by the time it got to the second last final version, so the fifth cut, um, I got it to him. It was cleaned up. All the like edits and, and information that is not going to, that was not in the final cut that everybody saw. 
um, was taken out of it and he, he watched it. And I purposely told him, watch it when you're not talking to me and when you're alone and then decompress and wait an hour and talk to me afterwards. Because I wanted him to have a completely clear mind from watching it to having a conversation. And 10 minutes into him watching it, I get a text message and it was just dot, dot, dot. And I was like, well, this is it. Now I'm really confused. (laughs) Now now I'm nervous. Um, And then when he was done, he was, you know, he he, he sent me a text message and I'm going to paraphrase it and basically saying like, like, this is, you did a really great job. Um, Certain points got me emotional. Obviously the story um, of both of his mentors, you know, Coach Joe and then um, Leroy Charles. Were, were really hard moments for him. And even sitting down and talking to him about those about, about both of those men were really hard for him. Um, and when we were taping, both of those, you know, situations of, of us talking about them, afterwards, you know, him and I are just talking, and his mic is off, and he's like, I didn't think anybody could pull that type of emotion out of me about those two men. So I was like, okay, good. In my head, I'm like, good, I'm doing my job. And then when he saw it all put together, it was over. Must like, have been overwhelming for it him. It was yeah. overwhelming for him. And even now, like he messaged me a couple months ago about like he rewatched it and, you know, sent me this beautiful text message thanking me and continuing to, you know, celebrate what I did for him um, and has posted about it on, you know, his social media. And it's, it's, it's not just him being happy with it, but it's his family his brothers, his sisters, his parents. So when he tells me that his family appreciates it, I'm like, damn, like, like, fuck, like, that's the first thing it. I ever yeah, said. And I'm just like, yeah. like, and now I've set the bar and I'm like, shit, how the hell do I, how the hell do I do better than that? Um, but I definitely, it's definitely something that I want to keep doing, whether I do it at the same time as broadcasting or I, you know, set it up when I have some downtime to do it. It's, 1000% something I want to keep doing because I like telling stories and broadcasting games allows me to do that in, in one version, but at the same time, the game dictates how I'm telling those stories. So being able to then completely take a 180 and just focus on telling a story is something that I want to do. And one person's story, and Dan, I know you're going to probably love this, is I want to tell DeMar DeRozan's story. Like that's like that's a story I want to tell. That's a big story um, right there. Yeah, so There's a lot to it that I think a lot of people don't know yet. Yes, um, and that's 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 probably the next one I would like to do, or he's at least on my bucket list. Um, so yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's something I can do. But like those are stories I like to tell. Is yes, there's an athlete, but there's more to these people. If if, if you're still on this path and, and you're still interested, I might have a project that you'd be interested. In. So we'll talk more after the show. Okay. Yeah. I might be interested as an executive producer on the show. You also might be interested. You're already invited. That's that goes without yeah. saying. Yeah, Meg, we might have to work together on this again. You know, what one thing one thing you mentioned about uh you always wanted to know what these players were like off the court. I always felt the same thing about Shep and Andy. And after six, seven months working with them, I can tell you I've learned what they get up to off the court as well. Pretty well, interesting. Of trouble. <laughs> A lot of trouble. All right, let's um we're gonna keep Megan around. Let's shout out our sponsor, Henderson Brewery here in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. It's also time now for this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Check out the hashtag TDITRH on Twitter. January 22nd, 2014, seven years ago. The Raptors get a career high at the time from the aforementioned. DeMar DeRozan, he scored 40 points. And the Raptors knock off Vince Carter, Jose Calderon, and the Dallas Mavericks, 93-85 at Air Canada Centre. You can imagine the homecoming that was. Grievous Vasquez adds 17 for Toronto. Grievous. Who climbed to 21-20 and on the season and never again slide to 500 or below on their way to the team's uh, first playoff berth in six years. The Rudy Gay trade was just six weeks previous. Okay, I think we should move on to 
um, NBA storylines and then maybe start with a, a professional basketball storyline. You know, Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, uh, myself, Dan Gladman, we're joined by Megan McPeak, play-by-play for the Washington Mystics and the Capital City Go-Go. This is a Canadian podcast. Um, we're seeing all kinds of NBA players succeed incredibly in the NBA. But one thing really caught our eye this week, and it was a, a notice from Canada Basketball in reaction to uh, some sanctions from FIBA, the, the international governing body of international basketball. And, and the Canadian team was, was sanctioned and fined for not participating in the AmeriCup um, I believe in the Dominican Republic in November of last year, obviously Canada wanted to be there and would have been there, but you know, there <laughs> we're in a pandemic and there were safety concerns and health protocols and Canada, I think, I think we'll all agree rightfully did not send a team. Um, may, maybe start with Shep here. What, what is behind such a decision? And you know, what, what, what exactly did they expect from Canada? I mean, why would they travel and attend an event um, when they were concerned about the health protocols? There's nothing behind that, no common sense behind it. I think that's just a response um, from FIBA that, that's extremely tone deaf. Um, but I'm not surprised because this is FIBA. They, you know, they have a history of putting their agenda ahead of the federations, the athletes, the, 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 the teams, um, and even their families in this case, right? So, I think where that's where that's concerned, you would think that you know they would have an, an ethical obligation um, in the best interest of the players, uh, but clearly that's you know complete opposite of that. And Canada's decision not to not to go ahead and, and opt into this tournament, you know, I fully support because it's not like they opted out because they want to go take a, a stroll in Disney, but this was you know advised by team doctors and and most importantly health officials here in Canada which, you know, our health officials are different than, you know, what's governing FIBA or some of the countries internationally. So you have to oblige by that. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that message was far beyond sport. Um, on, on the sports side, it was, okay, to our players, we respect, we admire, admire you um, and care about your safety and, and health uh, more than anything. And then I think from an, an international scale and, and globally, that was a message sent by Canada to say that we're taking this serious and this is our, our part, um, you know, in, 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 in taming this thing or, or, you know, something at, at that capacity. So, you know, I'm not surprised by FIBA, but again, I'm full support of, of what Canada, Canada's decision. And I think, you know, AR and I have been through many instances where we've experienced, you know, this same sort of, of, of foolishness to say, I mean, I, AR, I think I even remember, um, we're flying from on one, and this is just well, there's so many stories. We're flying right. from, um, where was we're somewhere in South America. I think we were in Brazil. I'm pretty sure we were in Brazil. Uh, we're in Brazil, and we're let's just say we're going to Venezuela, or I, I can't remember right now. And yeah, we probably our flight was probably a maybe a what was it a 40 seater. Yeah. So we had, Three teams, three or four teams on that flight. I remember Tiago Splitter was on that flight. Brazil, Argentina. Brazil, uh, I think it might have been Puerto Rico as well. Puerto Rico. So you had uh, Carlos Arroyo, you know, some big time guys as well at the time. Um, and they're trying to pack us all into this flight. Not only was were we going on to this flight, but, you know, our, our luggage was in the rows. So guys were actually yeah. sit on the luggage. And, you know, FIBA had said okay to this. The pilots were, were okay to this. And I think it was our doc, Phil Pot, the national team doctor that had... Threw a fit. Threw an absolute yeah. fit. Like, and Doc Phil Pot is, is one of the smartest... Right. Yeah. And in actuality, they, they took off all the luggage. They said, look, you, you have to, you know, drive this luggage. And some, you know, some staffer is going to have to drive to the next country because this is unacceptable. And, you know, we could have died. And I remember that flight barely got off oh we barely got off the ground barely yeah. got off the ground yeah so imagine if they're you know you'd still pack it with the luggage still actually we did have luggage in the aisles anyways but all mm -hmm. the other players all the other staff and you know we probably wouldn't even have been here today but that's the sort of the type of shit that goes on um that we, we you know general public is it doesn't isn't privy to and, and i get just naive in a sense so I, some of the backlash that canada's taking 
leading up to this in terms of why didn't you show up? Well, maybe you should understand yeah. what really goes on behind this. I mean, it's, 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 for me, it's a shame that FIBA continuously makes things about money. Um, you know, I, I think that Canada made also a, a massive statement in saying that the Raptors are not going to be allowed to play NBA games up in up in uh, Toronto. So they're not making exceptions for anybody, let alone, uh, you know, governing bodies of basketball. This is a world pandemic. So in, in my mind, you know, I'm on board with Canada. Um, and, and they're now saying that half of the fine and the loss and the standing point has been deferred contingent upon Canada meeting its obligations at the next FIBA uh, tournament. So, you know, not only are they saying uh, we're going to dock you, uh, we'll give you a chance to redeem yourself if you come to the next tournament, you know, and risk your life again. So it's it's really nonsensical. I think FIBA needs to take a step back and really worry about what's important. Um, yeah, but but I fully stand with Canada, as Chef said before. I, I just want to add on to that. I actually spoke to Glenn Grunwald yesterday, and I think what came as a surprise was the fact that they had been in correspondence with FIBA uh, just to make sure that this upcoming upcoming window in February was going to align with the health protocols here in Canada as well. So, you know, in between all of that, none of this was mentioned uh, to their knowledge. You know, that, and that's the crazy part. Dan, I see you laughing over here. That's the crazy part. None of this was mentioned. And then you get slapped with this fine after being reassured that so long as, you know, FIBA does their investigation and the reason why you opted out was was as as a result of health protocols and, and and you know the direction that you were given from the governing body there would be no fine sanction and so forth so to see that it's like okay now just just not only slap them, slap me in my face but spit on me would they have done that if the u.s did not play you know what it's tough I, no i, I still you, think so we, I, you, I think no, so why? i don't think you know they would have because it's, it's money it's about money i, think I don't so think they would have I don't think that. I, I mean, I think they would have under the table been like, yo, you owe us this money. Like, we're going to sanction you. I don't think they would have tried to make a, a point or make a mockery of the nation because it's USA basketball. It's USA basketball. But I think what FIBA's concerned, they're, they're more, they protect their, the European countries. So Okay, so if it was Argentina, exploit. France, France, would they have done it? I think I think FIBA's made it very clear as to where they stand in relation to Canada. That's for sure. I mean, it 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 goes. We've had a viable venue for years. You know, even right. even almost at an Olympic level, in my opinion. And and then we go play a tournament in Caracas, Venezuela, where they can't. Have, you know, we we we're eating green beans and and potatoes for three weeks. You know, it's didn't it flood it, in Mexico City? The floor is so yeah wet. yeah exactly. It's like so it, it, it's all about the dollar and what you can do for FIBA. FIBA's really missing the point with, with the Canadian team elevating itself right now, or at least has the potential to do so. The women's team exactly. has been successful for at least a couple of Olympic cycles right now. You know, Me Megan, you're, you're around the Washington Wizards, and you mentioned it earlier, six straight um, postponements of games. We're seeing it right now with the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, we're looking at a scenario where everybody wants the Tokyo Olympic Games to take place, and it's hard to predict where the world will be in respect to the, the coronavirus epidemic come July and August. But how do you think this plays out in terms of the Olympics? You know, I, I don't see Team USA passing, passing up the, uh, the Olympics under any circumstances, but they do have the money where they could you know, rent out their own hotel and, and just bubble there. I, I don't know if, if Canada is in that position. Do you, do you know where things are leading in terms of Tokyo at this point? Well, I mean, to your point, Dan, like, wasn't it Rio when Team USA basically put their entire um, yeah, yeah. athletes on the ship? Like, they yeah. completely secluded themselves. So if they're going to go to Tokyo, it would, or, yeah, to Tokyo, excuse me, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something similar. Um, if Canada wants to go, I could see them doing it as well, too, um, maybe on a smaller scale. Um, but, I mean, it, it's not the, – the biggest thing for me when it comes to Tokyo is the timing. I'm not at all concerned with regards to the WNBA because the WNBA has been dealing with the Summer Olympics being um, in the middle of the season – 
for, 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 for years, every four years, they know it's coming. So they always take a five to six week hiatus from the season because literally 99.9% of the players are playing on a national team. So really no team could field a roster at that point. Um, so they are used to this. But now when you look at the NBA, because they started later, they're going to run into basically national team training camps. So it will be very, very interesting when you look at players that, especially, you know, to Andy and Javon's point, the European teams. If you have players in the NBA that are big names on their on their national team, if they're in the NBA playoffs, what are they going to do? Like, where where does their where does their loyalty lie? Does it lie with their nation or does it lie with the NBA team that pays their paycheck? And then as well, too, you think of Team USA and USAB, LeBron James. DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, like literally all of Team USA could potentially be in the NBA playoffs, including the coach in Greg Popovich. Like, and then yeah, as well, too, situation. Nick yeah. Nurse is the head coach of Team Canada. The hey, Raptors could, like, at some point, the most important thing is just getting a competition in. And I think we all know it's going to be less than ideal circumstances. I, I really think at this point, everyone just hopes that the Olympics can come off with, right. with the talent that the USA has, you know, they're the favorite for the gold anyway. I, I, to me, the, these last ditch qualification tournaments of which Canada is, is depending on it at, you know, end of June, start of July in Victoria, you know, that that's really gonna, really gonna tell the tale. I, I think it, as we're, as we're winding down here, why don't we go around uh, the Zoom room, and each of us um, picks one Canadian who so far this season is um, just killing it in the NBA. Um, Meg, I have I'm, a qualifying question before that. Okay, because you're going to be um, save you best for last. Does Does Tristan Thompson still count as Canadian because he just got U.S. citizenship? There she is. There she goes. I didn't <laughs> there she Oh. Like I'm, but I'm asking that not just for this for for this conversation, but even for for the Olympics. Like, is he, does he still count? Well, you would have, I believe, you have dual. I don't because... when that when that report came out. I don't remember it saying he's a dual citizen now. I just remember it saying he got he was getting U.S. citizenship. But who controlled that narrative? What what media outlet would, would control that? So... Um. Well, that that the one the one report I saw, like the story that I read, um, was NBC Boston. So like. Boston came out but like but I still think like it would have been reported by if it was reported by a Canadian outlet I feel like that would have been reported by them if he was still a dual citizen because I was like I I can just picture Canada basketball losing their minds being like what are you doing mind you I wouldn't have seen him playing in Tokyo anyways to be honest I've been double dipping in that dual citizenship for years (laughs) and a national team member no sweat (laughs) one thing we know about Tristan Thompson he will not be playing for Team USA (laughs) So let, let's, Shep, let's start with you. Uh, we're, I don't know, a few weeks into the NBA season. Who is your outstanding Canadian player at this point? I got to go mine. with, I got to go with, I'm going to take, are we, can we do, can we double? Can we double up on Absolutely. this? No rules. No rules here. Say I, whoever you want. You get, you get one. You get one. I got to go, I got to go with Boucher because I think what he's done is, you know, he's exceeded the expectations for him. For himself, and you know, you know what you're going to get from Shea. He's continually, continuously growing. Jamal does what Jamal does, and, and a lot of those guys are really coming, have really come into their own. But I really think that Boucher has, has stepped his game up. Um, it's has it translated to as much wins as the Raptors would like? No, but he's been a big contributor for them, and it far exceeded, you know, what anybody thought or anybody imagined um, he would be doing. And I think. The, the contract he most recently signed is he, they got him at a discount at this rate. Uh, and, and, you know, that being said, his play is a part of what led to Alex Len being released, right? So you don't necessarily need that body anymore. So I think there was a lot of concern with, you know, retaining him and signing early on in the season because of his size and not really have been proven before. But, you know, when you look at what he does bring to the table, um, and, and, and the qualities and characteristics that he has, just being that he fights, he, you know, he, he rebounds, he, and he's really shooting the ball well right now. I believe he's shooting over 50% from the floor, um, and even higher from three. 
you really have to say a player like that is invaluable because just from the grit and the fight that he's bringing to the game. So, you know, he's a little older than he's 28 now, but he still has you know growth um, to go through and then maturing in terms of how his his impact on the game. And, I, and I'm excited for him. And I see that the sky's the limit. Um, and also just where he, where he's coming from. You know, he's essentially coming from from nothing and, and migrating from St. Lucia to to Montreal, getting connected with some good people that that have really taken, you know, took liking to him, took heed to him and, and really helped him develop. So, you know, when you have a story like that, maybe that's a story for you. When you have stories like that, um, you know, and obviously going through his adversities in, in college, uh, he had a pretty big injury that could have costed him, you know, where he's at right now. So he's a fighter and, and you know, I'm just happy to see what he's doing. Nice. Andy, who's your who's your outstanding Canadian thus far? I mean, I think the obvious answer is everybody you know, would say would, would be shy. I mean, the kid is just, he's wildly impressive. He's averaging 21, five and six. I mean, he has an uncanny, uncanny ability to play at his own pace. Um, and he's the cornerstone of that franchise already at 22 years old. But having said that, having said that, I think, I think right now at this point in the game, I'm loving what RJ Barrett is doing. You know, he's averaging 17, almost eight and, and four assists a game. Um, he's exactly the type of player that, this Knicks franchise needs to turn the culture around there. He's a worker. Uh, you know, he's exactly the type of player that would fit in Tibbs system. Um, and, and he's a guy who's committed to doing all the little things, rebounding defense, moving the ball, playing hard. And that's exactly what the Knicks need. And, you know, I think he's one three point shot away from really becoming a superstar in the league. And he's only shooting a 21% clip, but you know, that comes with time that comes with improvement and getting used to the NBA three. Should I even struggle with the NBA three when I came out there just because of the distance and, you know, understanding how to play uh, and pick your spots on the floor. But I see RJ being a guy, you know, for years to come going forward in New York. Meg, how about you? Andy took mine. He took mine too. I was going to say RJ. But you know I gotta... what? I'm, I, 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 but I also agree with what he's saying about, um, about S, SJ uh, or SG, SG with um, Che and what he does. Like the fact that I, I, I personally, I have no, you know, you're inside information to, you're on this. You're supposed to run with the Hamilton bread. Why do I have to run with the Hamilton bread? You're supposed to. Technically, I mean, I, Shout I've out the been, home team. I've been on, I've been on his bandwagon since I went to one of their practices and put them through a workout, and they all hated me. And Coach Kendall never brought me back because they hated me so much. But hey, hey. Um, wow. No, I've, I've loved, I've loved, those, <laughs> I've loved those kids since they were, since they were, you know, unknowns. But like what he's done, I personally think he took that trade from the Clippers to OKC personally, but didn't ever say anything about it. it was like, okay, okay, you wanna, you, you don't want me here. You don't think I could play with PG, and you don't think I could play with Kawhi? Bet I got you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove you wrong. So I think he took that, put a chip on his shoulder but did it silently. And his game has spoke for himself. Same with Jamal. But I um, I love what, what RJ has done in New York. They're not really getting any shine because it's the Knicks, mind you. They've got a couple solid back-to-back wins under their belt. Um, my only concern is I don't want Tibbs to get into the, the Tibbs moment where he just runs his guys into the ground because I think that will destroy the longevity longevity is a concern with Tibbs for Um, sure so like I'm hoping I'm hoping that like Rowan and um Steve are secretly in Tibbs you're like whoa whoa, whoa. this is you got to play the long game with this kid this is this is this is not you know this is not the 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 preakness like you gotta you gotta run this horse long long term so like ease up ease up on the gas pedal with what you're doing but to to Shep's point of Boucher, if he can continue what he's doing, and I know I'm supposed to just pick one, but it was RJ, so I'm going to touch on all of them. Um, and, and Jamal's been fantastic, too. I mean, it's the nugget, so, like, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, but with Boucher, if he can continue to play at this level consistently, and if the Raps can string together a really good season with wins, not going to be surprised if he is top three for most improved player of the year. And I think if the Raptors yeah. are winning um, 
and improve, you know, the, the, the struggle start that they've had. I know they've gotten, you know, a couple wins here and there in the, in the last couple of weeks. But I think if they can start to string things together and figure things out and they can be successful, um, because we all know when it comes to those awards, winning um, is, is implemented into the decision. He should and, and could be in the conversation. He should be in the conversation, but he could actually win most proof player award. Um, should they be successful if he continues to play at this clip? Because the worst thing is to see a player play like this and be this improved consistently. And then unfortunately, the wins and losses don't add up and, and they get quote unquote snubbed because of it. Because um, I personally don't like when, when players are on losing teams and get awards. I had a big issue with the most improved player in the WNBA this year. Um, person who got it, fantastic player. Team didn't get into the playoffs. But the second place runner up got into the playoffs, didn't get the award. So I'm not a big proponent on giving awards to teams that don't have success. But if the Raptors can have success, I think Boucher should be in the conversation for that award. Great, great answers from all of you. And, and I, I agree with what you said there, Megan. But I do think that the, the most improved player, kind of like the Rookie of the Year award, is of, of all the awards, is really based on the on the individual, even more so than the team. But like like the six man award, I think Boucher is going to be in, in that conversation as well. That one, uh, the team's going to have to win more games. Um, one thing I wanted to throw in there, I was listening to a game uh, maybe 10 days ago or even less. It was the, the Clippers and the Pelicans. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker out of Vaughn Secondary uh, threw a 37-piece, could not miss a shot. I think he was 15 of 23 shots. Um you know, that's not his average and that he hasn't had a game like that this season, but that showed his capability of doing it. So I'm looking for more uh, from Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Okay, we're going to thank uh, Megan McPeak all the way from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. You were wonderful, and uh, we were so happy to have you. Thank you to everybody listening. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Rats Podcast. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and wherever that kind of stuff happens. Thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Dan Wong. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Wong Says. Follow Shep on social media at Javon Shepard. Andy Routens is on Instagram. And you can find me at DG on the road. We will be back with another episode of Gym Rats and Joints next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.